Good morning, everyone. As the kids are heading out, you can open your Bibles. We'll, we're going to be looking in Exodus um, 11 and 12 this morning. Starting in verses, or chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Aaron. Um, it's been a while since I've been here, and uh, my family just started coming back just recently, so... Simon asked me to come and read today. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave the country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Now the Lord had caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel. And Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, at midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud, then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But amongst the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then will I bury with anger Moses left Pharaoh. So I read a little further. Going into chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instruction to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announcing to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each family must choose a lamb, a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal from each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be one year old male, either sheep or goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb of young goats at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of their house where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it 
along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boil it in water. The whole animal, including the heart, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over the fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before the morning. These are your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hands. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. And last, uh, going to verses 24 through 28. Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land of the Lord that the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the house of Israel in Egypt. And, through, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. Then when Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. I think one of the major issues people have today with Christianity or with God or accepting the Bible is not does God exist, but they ask the question, why is there so much of God's wrath and judgment displayed, particularly in the Old Testament? We celebrate God's love. And compassion as Christians. God is God of love. But we struggle with the concept of God's divine judgment. And the fact that one day every knee will bow before God in the day of judgment. And we all have to give an account to God. We love the fact that God is loving. But we struggle with the concept of justice and judgment. And that's what people have an issue with today. Why does God allow such things to happen in the Old Testament? But we always have to hold with God's judgment that there are two sides. The side of judgment and the side of grace and mercy. It goes together and this seems to be the theme that is woven throughout all of scriptures. And we see a good example of this in the, um, in the, uh, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve have sinned and they are cast out of the Garden of Eden and the curse is introduced. Original sin is introduced. But what does God do? He has compassion and love over Adam and Eve and he clothes them. And so we see this grace and we see this justice hand in hand. And the passage that we are reading this morning uh, certainly demonstrates a series of events which demonstrate the wrath and the judgment of God, but also his grace and mercy in abundance. And we learned last week how Moses and Aaron, they were commissioned by God to go to Pharaoh and to say to Pharaoh, I want 
you to free God's people, to take them out of bondage and slavery and a, a season of hopelessness and lead them and guide them to the opposite, to, to life and to abundance and to freedom and God's promises. And what does Pharaoh say? He says, I don't know this God. I don't know this Yahweh. But we learned last week that the Pharaoh certainly discovers Yahweh uh, by the time the Egyptians uh, let and allow the Israelites to leave. And we looked at even the, uh, the temple that was built, the temple of Celeb, with uh, Pharaoh Amemeteth, uh, who uh, actually uh, inscribes the name Yahweh into his temple as something and somebody and a God to be feared. So Pharaoh doesn't know Yahweh, but by the time the Israelites leave, they certainly do know his name. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. These, um, how the Egyptians discover God. But it has to happen through these, these plagues, 10 plagues. And there are um, 10 plagues that we're going to be looking at this morning. And they come in three groups of three plagues. And they, they are, uh, a, thank you for, look at that, this, the screen, it just happens without even asking now. Good job, team. Give the, can we give the technical team a round of applause? <laughs> when it goes well, I know I look good, but when it goes bad, everybody turns around like toots at the technical team, right? So anyhow, good job, guys. Okay, so the plagues come in three groups of three in ascending order of severity. And the first group is just irritation and discomfort. And then the other set of plagues is kind of pain and death. And the third group is, is death and destruction. But each group is introduced with a purpose and uh, with a purpose statement. And so the first group is mentioned and we see in there in Exodus 7, 17, the Lord says to Pharaoh and to the people, these will happen so that you will learn who the Lord is. And then the next group of plagues is introduced um, in Exodus 8, 22, that you will learn that the Lord is in Egypt. So we know of God. We know that God is present. And then the third uh, statement is this. In Exodus 9, 14, it is stated that you will learn that the Lord is not compared with any other God. These are lessons that we could learn in our lives today. Even as Christians, we need, do we know who God is? Do we know the attributes and the character? And God, do we, are we reading and studying the scriptures to know the heart of God in our own lives today? Do we know that the Lord is with us and guiding us in all circumstances, even when we're panicking and, and fearful and we're struggling with life? Do we know that the Lord is with us, in, in, in us? And then do we know that God is not to be compared with any of the gods, whatever that looks like, whatever comes before God is a, is, is a false God. Are we putting God first in our lives? I think not only this is a lesson for Pharaoh, it's a huge lesson for us today in our own lives, for me in my life. And so here's the Lord displaying these, these plagues. We say plague. In Hebrew, the word plague means to a blow, a strike. 
So these plagues are actually 10 blows to Egypt, to Pharaoh, but not just Pharaoh himself. These plagues can actually be attributed to the gods of Egypt. And so, for example, every blow, every plague is a blow to Egypt, is a blow to those people, uh, the, 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 the gods that the Egyptians put their trust into. For example, the blood. The first plague is blood. And we see that some um, in the passage in Exodus, the first plague uh, is demonstrated in Exodus 7, the plague of blood. And some say that it was a natural occurrence, that there was some clay maybe was filled up, you know, and washed down into the river. And that might be a thing, it might be a natural occurrence. But what we cannot deny is that the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your staff and strike the water. And so Moses does exactly that in verse 20. He raises his staff in the presence of the pharaohs and he strikes the water and this, the water and all of the water in the valley in the land turns red, turns to blood. And this would have been a blow. This would have been a strike, not only to the people of the pharaoh, but to the gods of the Nile. They worshipped the Nile. It was their life source. It was where they got their, their water from. And in, in Egypt, water is a precious commodity. And it was a strike against Apis and Isis, who were the gods and goddess of the Nile. The next plague was, or the next blow was frogs. And frogs were sacred. And so there's this plague of frogs. They go everywhere. They go in the houses. They go everywhere. You in the streets. And frogs would have been sacred. And you couldn't kill them. Because they were attributed to Haket, which was the, the goddess of fertility. And so you've got this, these frogs everywhere. And you weren't allowed to kill them. And they die. There's no fertility there. It's just death. It's the opposite of what was supposed to be happening. And it's a stench. And the last thing you want to be doing with the stench of frogs around is getting all romantic, you know, with your husband or your wife. Say, <laughs> and so it's a blow. It's a blow to the gods of the Nile. It's a blow to the gods of, you know, fertility and, you know, googly eyes and things. And then the third plague we get is the plague of gnats. And see, in, verse, in chapter 8, 21, it tells us that these gnats are here, and this was, would have been a, a, an attack on Set, the, the, the god of the desert. And even the magicians in 8, chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, and these magicians have been trying to match what Moses and Aaron have been doing. These magicians of the Egyptians, say to Pharaoh, in Exodus 8, 19, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hard. Even the magicians are saying, God is involved here. We need to be listening to Yahweh. And yet, Pharaoh doesn't even see the signs. He's hardening his heart to the signs and the wonders of the Lord. People say today, if only I could see a miracle, then I'll believe in God. This tells me that even if people do see a miracle, they still won't put their trust in God today. 
And so we see here Pharaoh continues to harden his heart to the Lord. And then we see flies, the next one. Then we see livestock being, you know, uh, killed and, and maimed. And this would have been an attack, the livestock, on Apis. The cows, although they would have been eaten, were also sacred animals. The Persians uh, had a war against the Egyptians. And in order to win, what they did is they just released a herd of cows before them and their enemies so that the archers wouldn't even strike the cows. That's how sacred these were and that they are being attacked by, these, uh, by a, a plague. We see boils as the next one, as the sixth plague. And in chapter nine, we see this occurring. Um, and it's so severe that even the magicians of Pharaoh are unable to present themselves before him. It says in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it, be, it will... Um, chapter 9 tells us in there somewhere that the magicians weren't even able to approach Pharaoh. Where is it? 11, thank you. The magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils on them were, were uh, on them and all of the Egyptians. But this is the interesting bit. So we've had five plagues where Pharaoh is hardening his heart to the Lord. And then things twist. The sixth plague, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. I think that is fascinating. Pharaoh has been hardening his heart to the Lord. All these wonderful signs, all of these wonderful displays. The Lord is in it. The Lord is guiding. Even the magicians say the Lord is in it. But what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh doesn't listen to what the Lord is saying. He's hardening his heart. He's hardening his heart. And then it comes to a point where the Lord hardens his heart. And for the next five plagues, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I think that's an interesting picture of how hardening works of our hearts. We start to harden our own hearts, perhaps, to what the Lord is saying. But then God continues the hardening process. You might say it is God's judgment on Pharaoh. And two things hold the Bible together, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we have to take both of them very seriously. We serve a sovereign God, but we have responsibility to keep following the Lord. We have responsibility to keep ensuring that we're following Jesus every day. And we do that. We're here this morning. I'm preaching to the choir, right? We want to worship the Lord. And the two things I think we need to continually remind ourselves about. But who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it Pharaoh? Was it God? And if it was Pharaoh, then we have to understand this is why people are responsible and they must be warned about the consequences of 
God's judgment in their lives. We have to tell people about Jesus. If Pharaoh is hardening his own heart, we have a responsibility to tell people today who have a hard heart to the Lord, who don't accept the Lord, that they need Jesus. Do we understand that? We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a responsibility to tell them who Jesus is. And if the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart, and if the Lord hardens people's hearts today because they just refuse to accept the Lord and see his signs and wonders, then we have a responsibility to be praying for people's salvation. So we have a responsibility, I think, to tell people about Jesus and to be praying that they accept Jesus in their lives today. And this is why it's so important to be reaching out into people's lives, proclaiming the life-transforming presence of Jesus. And this is why it's so important to be praying. Are we preaching Christ individually as a church? Are we praying for salvation individually and as a church? I hope that makes sense. And so this weekend, there's a good opportunity coming. Imidine, invite someone to come along that they may encounter Christ in our community, hopefully on the worship time. But also be praying for your neighbor. Praying for your neighbor. I was talking to someone in the football team yesterday and they said, I had a great conversation with my neighbor. I'm not going to say who you are. Uh, and he said, nah, your neighbor, my neighbor goes to your church. And they're telling me all about your church and everything else. And I said, that's great. Why don't you come and experience it for yourself? But that, pray for our neighbors, that they may experience Jesus in great ways. So that's plague six. But before the next three plagues, Pharaoh is given a special message in chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. And it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues, my blows against you and against the officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all of the earth. And some of the people listen to this message. Some of the Egyptians, they, they get their, their slaves and they get their cattle. And in verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring the slaves and the livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. And we see three more plagues. Hail, locusts, and then the ninth one is a darkening of the land. And this would have been a direct blow to Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh would have been synonymous with the, the sun god, Ra. And so, you know, the Pharaoh said, I am a, a reincarnation or a, a kind of avatar of, of, the, of Ra. So God is more powerful than Pharaoh. That's what the message would have been communicated to the people at that time. Nine plagues, nine blows, and yet Pharaoh found it easier and easier to continue to break his promises and say to the people, I will not let the people go. 
And as I was reading this, I couldn't help challenge myself and say, are there any signs in my life that I'm ignoring that God is telling me? Is God speaking into my life in any way that I'm ignoring of God? What is God saying to you today? And are we listening to him? Or are we allowing things to come into our lives uh, that, we, that we ignore God, fear, or not trusting in God, or worry, or situations at home, or whatever? Or are we allowing the signs and wonders of God to kind of continue to direct us in our individual lives? God is full of mercy and patience, but God's patience the lesson I'm learning with this is that God's patience does have a limit. Otherwise, God would be indifferent. And we see the last plague, the 10th plague, is the plague of the first Passover, which is so fundamental to us today in our Christian lives. Exodus 11, thank you, Aaron, for reading those passages. Exodus 11 starts with the first ever Passover. And the Lord says to Moses, I will bring one more plague, one more blow on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. This last plague was the plague, the blow that would have sealed and signed the deal. We've had nine plagues and it's still Pharaoh's determined not to give in. And Exodus 12 tells us this wonderful um, dialogue of what the people of God should be doing during the Passover. And I think even today, the events of the Passover that Aaron read to us are celebrated by the Jewish people. And it is customary for the youngest child during a Passover meal to ask the father what is going on and the father explains the story. Father recounts the marvelous acts of God's redemption. Redemption from Egypt, redemption from judgment, redemption from slavery into something quite wonderful. The whole drama of Scripture is a salvation by God and from God and can be summed up in John 1, 29. John the Baptist sings the uh, Agnes Dei, and he says, you know, Agnes Dei is a uh, lamb of God in Latin, and he says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the beautiful thing for us today about the Passover, that it just points us towards Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But let's go through the Passover a little bit and see what we can learn. Chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, well, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. This is the beginning of the year for the Jewish people. This is a huge event. And it became the new year. The Passover was the new year, the start for the Jewish calendar. 
It's the first ceremony that people today, the Jewish people still celebrate, the Passover. It starts with the Passover and there are many ceremonies and it ends with the, ship, um, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Even today, it is significant for the Jewish people and for us. This is huge. So we should take it seriously. And it reminds us of just how important the time of the Exodus would have been for the people of God. And the Old Testament continually refers back to the Exodus. The time of the Exodus would have been like uh, this, this new beginning for people. And Pharaoh has been refusing the request of Moses and Aaron despite blow after blow against Egypt. And in the first five verses, uh, plagues, like we said, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And in the second four, we read how God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. So now comes the final blow. And in verse three, it tells us that the whole community uh, spent time preparing for this meal. On the 10th day, they had to prepare. Uh, and then they would slaughter the lamb on, the, on verse six, on the 14th day. Four days they had to prepare for this ceremony. And I love that. Four days to prepare for this wonderful event. And that's encouraging to me. I find it difficult sometimes to get my church, uh, my kids to church on time. And yet these people are preparing for four days for this wonderful ceremony that God has installed for them. And when I was reading this, I challenged myself, am I preparing myself to encounter God? Four days they were preparing for this Passover meal. How much time do we prepare to encounter God in our own lives? I like to prepare for church, not on a Sunday morning. I like to prepare for church on Saturday night. It's a bit more difficult now. I play soccer on Saturday. So I get home at 10 o'clock and then I think, okay, let's start preparing for church. Prepare my heart for what the Lord has installed for me. I, I get to church. I try to get to church early. 8, 8.30, and I go and I just want to spend time with the Lord before church. Or are we rushing around? Sunday morning can be difficult, right? It's a sleep in, we get a late breakfast, we rush, we come in late, we get a coffee, we chat with people, we come in a quarter past the hour. And then it takes us 20 minutes to settle into the service. We're getting ready in our hearts. Right, God, I'm here. You've got me. And then it's time to have coffee again, right? It's like, are we preparing our hearts? Are we preparing ourselves to encounter God on a Sunday? I guess what I'm saying is get here early. <laughs> get, get an early parking space or whatever, right? So these elaborate preparations have been made by the Israelites. They're preparing to meet with the Lord. So what is the point of this ceremony? You understand this and you understand the very heart of what the Bible is about. Verse 22 and 23 tells us, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb, it says, in the basin and put some of the blood on the door, uh, on the door frame and on the door posts. Not one of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning. 
You see their pain, the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Death is God's universal judgment on sin, whether it comes tonight or whether it comes in 50 years' time. It's about averting God's judgment. The lamb of God, the lamb has been slain to avert judgment. A life laid down, the lamb is sacrificed, and there's a covering of blood over the house. The blood represents a kind of shield over the homes so that the angel of the Lord will just literally pass over their homes to, to shield them from the judgment of God from this death. The angel of death would pass over their homes and wherever the shield could not be found, the firstborn would die. But bear in mind, and I need to be clear, everyone deserves death every eldest son included. That's been in the Bible since Genesis 3. Death is God's universal judgment on sin. But God offers a way of release, of cover, of mercy. It could be any one of us. We deserve death. You see, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the, what is the, the payment of sin? Death, Romans tells us, spiritual death. So when we ask God for something, don't ask God for what you deserve because we won't like it. Ask God for mercy. And it's his mercy through the shedding of blood, of a sacrifice that each Israelite is covered and safe. How, I do, how do I remind myself about justice and mercy and grace? Let me tell you a story. There's some little kids playing in, the, in a garden. And the parent is, is watching through the window, washing the dishes. Say it's a dad, you know, because dads these days are all modern and stuff like that. So the dad's washing the dishes and watching the children play in the backyard. And they're playing dead nice. But then as kids do, they start a fight. And so he steps out in the backyard and he says to the kids, listen, uh, don't fight. It's not nice to fight. Um, if you fight, then uh, we're gonna, there's going to be consequences, right? And so he goes back in and starts washing the dishes. Two minutes later, the kids start fighting again. So he goes outside and says, listen, I've warned you once. This is a second warning, a third warning. There'll be consequences. The kids are like, okay, okay, that's fine. We won't, we're sorry. And so... He goes back, starts washing the dishes again. And he looks out the window and they start fighting again a third time. Kids, eh? And so he goes outside and he says to the kids, I've warned you three times, there's going to be consequences. Uh, so we, you've got to come inside. You're going to, you're going to come in. There's no uh, Xbox and there's no playing. You're going to go to your rooms and there's going to be punishment. So he brings the kids in and that is justice. Justice has been served to the children. It's their consequences. But he, he gets them in and he sees his little children and he loves them so much. And he's like, oh, do you know what? I love you so much. I, I just love you that I'm not going to punish you. That is mercy. Mercy is not receiving something that we deserve. And he says, because I love you so much. 
And this is what I do with my kids. My, my, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, such, I'm, the, I'm the soft one in the family, right? And so my kid, you know, he says to these kids, come on. And he goes to the fridge and he opens the fridge and he gets the, you know, your big Canadian ice cream tubs out. And he kind of like, he gets the ice cream and puts it in a bowl and he gets the maple syrup on there and some squirty cream and, and a cherry. And then he gets the sprinkles and he puts the sprinkles on and he, he gives it to the kids. That is grace, receiving something that they don't deserve. And this is what we get with Jesus Christ. We deserve judgment, but God gives us mercy and he gives us grace in abundance. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ today and understand that he died for us and his blood was spilled for us instead and we trust in him, we don't get the judgment of God that we deserve, but we get mercy and we get grace in our old lives. The thing I love about this passage here is in chapter 12, verse 11. It says, for the meal, the family come together. This is how we ought to eat the meal. There's two things I want to highlight about the process of the meal. This is how you ought to eat the meal. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, you're not supposed to eat the meal in your pajamas. You're supposed to eat it ready with your staff in your hand and your cloak tucked in your belt and your sandals on your feet because the Lord is going to move you out of your slavery, out of your situation, and he's going to give you something way better in the promised land. He's going to move you. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go. This is the faith that God wants for the people of God to have. He says this, that you need to be expecting the Lord, your God, to be doing something special in your lives. Have faith. Have faith in God. Expect the big things. God is prepared to move them along. And he says to the people, believe in me. And it will happen. That's the first thing. Do we believe in God? That he can do great things in our lives today. Do we believe in him? Amen. And the second thing is this. In verse 8, it talks about unleavened bread. That same night they ought to eat. The meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. What's the point of having bread made without yeast? Well, in the New Testament, yeast was associated with corruption and sin. And so get rid of the yeast. Get rid of it. Get it out of your house. Dedicate your heart to the Lord. And when we read that in New Testament lenses, with New Testament eyes, it's encouraging. Commit yourself to God. Make sure that you are holy. We serve a holy God. Stay holy because God is holy. Are we getting rid of the corruption and the sin and the junk and the rubbish in our own lives? That we, and are we dedicating our life to God? There's two things there I want to pick up. One, be prepared and have faith in the Lord. He can do great things. And the second thing is this. Are we dedicating our lives as a holy offering to God today in 2023. And so let me draw a conclusion to this. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ 
was going to do. And over a thousand years later, we see in the upper room in John, Jesus Christ is with his disciples celebrating the last Passover meal. Jesus is in his room with the disciples the, the weekend before he's going to get crucified. And he says, this is a Passover fe feast. And Jesus changes the words. No longer were you to paint your door full of blood. Who does that today? Eh? Nobody. If you do, don't do it, you know. <laughs> Jesus changes the words. He says, instead of painting blood on your doorposts, this cup is the new blood of the new covenant. Instead of eating unleavened bread, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus is declaring the new covenant. Jesus tells us that we should do this every time that we meet, and we do that this morning. We're going to take communion now to remember that Jesus Christ is our new Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, get rid of that old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. How encouraging is that? That if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our new Passover lamb, that is done once and for all. That ceremony of the Passover never has to be repeated again because Christ did it for us because he loves us so much. It's as if Jesus is saying that the sacrifice can never be repeated again, but you can remember it every time we meet. The Passover in Exodus is a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do. Our Exodus is trusting in Jesus. We are slaves to sin and the blood of Jesus sets us free. If we trust in the blood of Christ, we know protection. We know our sins are forgiven and we know the angel of judgment will pass over our heads. If we don't have blood as a covering, then we are left over, open to the final judgment of God and nobody wants that. So, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this day, let me encourage you, put your trust in him. And if you do know Jesus today, be blessed. Keep remembering what he's done in our lives. Keep remembering his mercy. Keep remembering his grace. Keep seeking him. Keep throwing out that yeast, the things that can hinder us from growing and being fruitful in him. Jesus, God is good. And we have so much to be thankful for. We're going to worship God now. And I'm going to invite our service to come down this moment. Come down. And let us remember what Christ has done. His blood was spilled so that we could have that covenant with God, which can never be broken. And his body was broken. Let's worship God. And in our time of remembering, let's take communion if you want. And thank Jesus for what he's done in our lives.
Amen.